Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We left off last week talking about Jesus who came out of the waters of baptism And the father said, a voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved son. Actually, in the Greek language, it reads, this is my beloved son in whom I am already well pleased. Already well pleased. At that point, Jesus had done no ministry. He had done no miracles. He'd done no signs. He'd done no wonders. And yet God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am already well pleased. It was at that point that Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There in the wilderness, there were three temptations from Satan to Jesus. And with each temptation, you know this, Jesus quoted the word of God. He said, for it is written, he used the word of God to combat the devil. I told you last week, if you missed it, you write this down now. The phrase it is written literally means, literally reads, it has been written and will remain written. It has been written and it will remain written, Jesus said, as he did battle with the devil. Now, I need to say this again because last week we pointed out, but I do think it's worthy to kind of point out again that uh, we talked about being filled with the Spirit, as the Bible tells us right there about verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. The Bible tells us that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And we talked about last week that being filled with the Spirit does not eliminate, listen, does not eliminate or lessen the impact of temptation. Um, You know, oftentimes we think that if we are filled with the Spirit or we're walking in the Spirit or we're doing what God wants us to do, that we will be free from temptation. As a matter of fact, not only do we think that, but there are churches that teach that, that you can, at some point, you can walk, be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit to the point that you are never tempted, to the point that you never sin. Well, the Bible does not say that. Amen. The Bible does not teach that, and you will never be sinlessly perfect. Why? Because we're in this flesh. The only time we'll be perfect is when we're worshiping Jesus face to face. We're looking at him in his presence. So this is a wrong teaching that we hear in the church today. I also told you last week that to be tempted is not to sin. There's no sin in temptation. If there were, then we would have to say that, Je- that Jesus was a sinner. I don't think that there's anyone in this room who would dare to say that Jesus was a sinner. And if you would say that, then please tell me before you say that so I can get my 36. 
because you finna get struck. <laughs> so last week we ran out of time, and I wanted to tell you this, but we ran out of time, so I'll bring it up and we'll talk about it just for a few more moments today. I wanted to answer the question, then why would God allow his son to be tempted? I'm going to give you five quick reasons why. Get your pen. This is where you want to write down some stuff. I'm going to give you five quick reasons as to why God would allow his son to be tempted. Number one, listen, Jesus' victory over temptation demonstrated that he was a sinless savior. That he didn't give in or fail or fall into sin. It proves that he was the sinless son of God. Number two, Jesus' victory over temptation exposes Satan's tactics. The tactics that Satan used against Jesus are the same tactics that Satan will use against us. The Bible says that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So we learn how Satan operates as we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. We learn how he works. Number three, Jesus' victory in the wilderness, you'll love this one, was a preview of coming attractions. It was a preview of Jesus' ultimate victory over the devil that would take place on the cross. Number four, Jesus' victory in the wilderness prepared Jesus to be our sympathetic high priest. The word sympathetic simply means he understands where you're at. He understands what you're going through. He is our sympathetic high priest. We find in Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 15 and 16, it tells us that Jesus was tempted just like us, except he did not sin. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, for in him, in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid or to help or to understand those who are tempted. So Jesus' victory in the wilderness prepared him to be our sympathetic high priest. And then finally, Jesus' victory over the devil and temptation becomes an example to us on how to handle temptation from Satan and from his demons. Five reasons why God allowed Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness. Today, let's pick up our study. You're going to love this text. This is a fascinating, awesome need to have your attention text. You don't want to miss a thing here. Look at Luke chapter 4, and let's pick up in verse 14. Saints, if you're looking at it, say amen. amen. Then Jesus returned. You got to underline this in your Bible. In the power of the Spirit to Galilee and fame, the news of him went out through all of the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came, well, we're going to read right to verse 30 and then we'll come back. How's that? So he came in verse 16 to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. You got to underline that. Where he had been brought up. Where was he brought up? Okay. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And what did the spirit anoint Jesus to do? Somebody read it with me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to what? Heal the brokenhearted and to do what? Proclaim liberty to the captives and what? And recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. This is awesome. And he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogues were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except, who saint? Naaman, who was a Syrian. And of all those in the synagogue, so all those in the synagogue in verse 28, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Jesus returned. Give me your attention. He returns from the temptation in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Now listen, don't miss this. Please listen. Don't miss this. Everything that Jesus did in his life, he was led and immersed in the Spirit from the beginning of his life. We learn from Luke chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of the Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, I just told you, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. You'll find that Luke 3.22 Hebrews chapter 9, if you're taking notes, verse 14, Jesus was offered to God through the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we just mentioned, Jesus was full of the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Now, if you peruse verses 16 through 19, basically Jesus is saying, all that I will do for the next three and a half years are you listening? Every sermon, every miracle, every healing, every time I comfort the brokenhearted, all because the spirit of the Lord is upon me. John chapter five, verse 30, Jesus said, I cannot do anything apart from the spirit. Listen, Jesus, the son of God, the God's son perfect in deity, perfect in humanity, needed the Spirit of God. And if Jesus needed the Spirit of God to lead his life, are you hearing me? If Jesus needed the Spirit of God to lead his life, do you? 
Of course you do. I'll wait while you clap your hands. That's okay. We need the Spirit of God. We can do nothing without the Spirit of God. And I'm learning that. I've been a pastor for 14 years, pastor in this church for 14 years. And I've been in ministry for more than 20. And I'm learning that. Every day, depending on the Spirit. Waking up in the morning, Lord, here's my life. Depending on the Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit today. Give me the mind of Christ today. May I walk in the Spirit today. We can do nothing apart from the Spirit. As an individual, we can do nothing apart from the Spirit. As a church, we can do nothing apart from the Spirit. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the church today. A lot of stuff going on. New DVD. This is happening over here. These people are teaching this. This new wave of something. You ever notice every so many years, there's always a new wave of something going through the church. At one point, people were laughing in the spirit. That came and it went. There's very, very uh, poignant moments in history where things come into the church and they're just wins. They just come and they go. And so people, you know, as a pastor and as pastors of churches, you know, people will say, you know, pastor, we need to be doing this and we need to be doing that. And they're doing this over there and this move of God is happening over there and this is over there. And, and I, I don't, uh, you know, uh, certainly uh, don't write off or devalue uh, anything that someone else is doing over there. But I think people have to understand that it's my job and my role as a pastor to be led by the Spirit and what God wants to do here at Calvary Chapel. If that's okay, you can clap your hands, all right? That's, that's what I feel. And so we need to rely on the Spirit for everything. Jesus returns from the wilderness and immediately, note this in your text, saints, note this in verse 15, please look at it. He immediately goes into the synagogue, into the synagogue. Now, Jesus going into the synagogue, let me tell you just a little bit about the synagogue. A Jewish synagogue would be established in every city when there were 10 Jewish males in that city. If there were 10 Jewish males in the city, they would establish a synagogue. In the synagogue, there would be an order of service. In the synagogue, they didn't have singing. They didn't have worship. You know, we got drums and all this, you know, worship stuff up here. They didn't have that in the synagogue. No singing, no drums, no guitar, no worship. They would simply come into the synagogue. They would open the service with prayer. And then someone would read a text. And then someone else would expound on that text. And then someone else might read a text. And someone else might expound on that text. And this would happen. Their services actually were quite long. And they were quite boring. Boring. Now, as you study the Gospels, does this title sound familiar? The ruler of the synagogue. That title sound familiar? Yes or no? Some of y'all, yes or no? You need coffee? Yes or no? Yes. The ruler of the synagogue. The ruler, who is this person? The ruler of the synagogue, listen, was a man who was in charge of the synagogue. He was in charge of the service. He would make sure that there was order to the service. He would make the schedule for the person who was in charge of collecting the alms or collecting the offerings. There was also a man that the ruler of the synagogue was in charge of, but there was another man who was in charge of the scroll. And his job was to take the scroll out and to lay it on the table. 
So he would take the scroll out and lay it on the table. At the end of the service, he would roll it up and he would put it away. Now get this, the ruler of the synagogue, he had another job, which was to make sure that the children of the community went to what was called the school of the book. The school of the book. Every six-year-old, every afternoon, would go and sit with the ruler of the synagogue and talk about the book. Can you imagine, no doubt, Jesus being six years old, he probably went to the school of the book. And can you imagine having Jesus as a six-year-old in your Sunday school class? Because kids, something else. And, and I always like to help you understand, Jesus was like any other normal kid. We've talked about this. You know, we kind of get the impression that Jesus was like super baby or something or super child. And he didn't like do kid stuff and skateboard and play video games and Okay, so he didn't play video games. <laughs> but he was like a normal kid. And, you know, he's in Sunday school class. Can you imagine Jesus, like, in your Sunday school class? And, like, little kids, they always got funny things to say. You know, he's raised his hand. The teacher, yes, yes, Jesus. He'd say, I'm the Messiah. The teacher was like, uh, are there problems at home, Jesus? I'm the Messiah. So Jesus arrives in Galilee and he begins his public ministry by teaching in the synagogue. Notice again in verse 14, there was a fame about Jesus. A news was spreading all throughout the region because Jesus is teaching and people are being healed. Verse 16 tells us that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Saints, listen, I'm going to say this quick because we need to move on. Jesus was brought up in Nazareth, not any other location. He was brought up in Nazareth. Do not watch the History Channel. I'm telling you, if you want to learn some bad theology, you want to learn some bad Bible, listen to the History Channel. They're always searching for Jesus. When they don't have another story, they're always looking for Jesus. Where is the real Jesus? I'm like, let me tell you, I know where Jesus is. A, a, a Christian that's been a Christian for a day knows where Jesus is. He's in heaven making intercession for us. Somebody clap your hands. Would you do that? And praying for you. We know where Jesus is. So I'm flipping through the stations. I ain't nothing to do. Flipping through the stations. I happened upon the History Channel. Oh, God forbid. And they're talking about Jesus. And they said that Jesus in the hidden years that he spent, that he was in, in his hidden years, that he was in Tibet. These are New Agers, by the way. This story is coming from New Agers. And then he spent time in Tibet. And they call the hidden years a time in which the Bible doesn't really tell us that much about Jesus from the age of 12 to the age of 30. So they call those hidden years. And they say during those hidden years that Jesus was in Tibet. We know that Jesus wasn't in Tibet. We know that there were no hidden years because the Bible tells us that Jesus was brought up and raised in Nazareth. He was not in Tibet. Somebody say amen, would you? I look at that stuff. You know, I'm one of those kind of people. I see something on TV and I know that's like wrong teaching and I just start going crazy. And I'm like, 
And Alvaro's like, honey, why are you watching that? And it's getting your blood pressure up. Because I can't believe they're saying that. I can't believe it. Honey, but why do you watch it? Because I can't believe they're saying that. It's just driving me crazy. The Bible's very clear. He's not from Tibet. He's brought up in Nazareth. And that is why he is known as Jesus. Somebody help me. Jesus the Nazareth. It's not that hard. Jesus the Nazarene. Look at verse 16. It tells us, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. Listen, saints, it was his custom to go into the synagogue. It was his custom to go into the synagogue. It was his custom to go to church. Saints, it needs to be your custom to go to church. There's a whole movement out there. Y'all don't know about it because y'all come to church. You're here now. But there's a whole movement out there today of people who believe that they don't need to go to church and that they have church at home and that they don't need to be a part of the corporate body, they say. And so they don't go to church. And that's unbiblical. The Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. As a matter of fact, I got it on the screen for you, don't I? Don't I? Hebrews chapter 10. Yes, I do. There it is. Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25. Why don't you read it with me? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love, I can't hear you, and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Listen, we need to go to church. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because Jesus did. Number two, because he told us to. We need to go to church. And we need to go to church because God has given you a gift. When you become a Christian, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you are given a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that gift is given to you to build up and to edify the body of Christ. You're to have that gift so you can come to church and, and be a part and take that gift and be a part of the body of Christ and thus making it a whole body. You are to use your gift to be a blessing to me. Y'all got mighty quiet. <laughs> and I am to use my gift to be a blessing to you. If God has given me a gift of teaching, what if I just decided, you know what, I don't think I want to go to church today. I mean, it's happened. I, didn't, I did show up. I didn't feel like it that one day. But, I, I, but what if I just decided I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go to church today? I'm not going to be here to share my gift of teaching with you. And there will be a missing part of the body. Because the body being many members, yet one body, we take all of our gifts and we use them to make up the body of Christ, a complete body. So we need to be a part of a church. Even if you're not a part, I'm not saying you need to be a part of Calvary Chapel. You don't need to be a part of this church, but you need to be a part of some church. And every Sunday you need to get up. And every Sunday you need to, every Sunday and every Wednesday and whenever the church doors open, if you can get there, you need to go to church. You know, some folks think Sunday, I'm staying in the bed, I'm going to have me some pancakes. I'm going to have me some pancakes. I don't feel like going to church. I feel like staying home and having me some pancakes, some syrup. It's raining outside, and I'm just going to stay in the house. No, 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 no. Go to church. Teach your children. Teach your grandchildren. Go to church. 
I told you, if you live in my house, you go on to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I am not walking out on Sunday morning leaving nobody in the bed. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? No, you ain't staying in the bed. And if you, if you want to stay in the bed, that's why my family don't come to visit me. I told them second service. My family does not, they don't come to visit me. And the reason they don't come visit me, because they know Sunday morning, I'm waking you up, you are going to church. And so they prefer to stay in a hotel if they want to come to carry. But I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm not paying for the hotel. I don't mind. But if you come to my house, you're coming to church. Because that's what we do. The Bible tells us Jesus made it a custom to go to synagogue, and so should we. So he goes into the synagogue, and notice in verse 17, the ruler of the synagogue handed Jesus the scroll. In verse 17, go ahead and look at it, please. The ruler of the synagogue handed Jesus the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus opened to Isaiah 61. Now get the scene. This 30-year-old itinerant preacher walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He is handed a scroll, And he unrolls the scroll and he reads verse one through the first line of verse two of Isaiah 61. And then he stops reading. He hands the scroll back. He sat down and he said, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Look at Isaiah chapter 61. You must see this. I've got it on the screen for you here. Isaiah 61. This is what Jesus quoted. And you've got to see something here. Jesus began to read and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.